Welcome to Small Town BS. I'm your host, Zach Bellman. Today is Saturday, February 15th of 2020. It is Valentine's Day weekend as I record this. Hope you had or are having a great weekend as you listen in. Today on the show, we'll do the long-awaited sequel to one of the more popular columns from last year that I wrote and discuss the Wisconsin Sports State of the Union. I'm also excited to announce our first guest appearance on the history of the podcast. That will come up in a minute, but first, I have to do a victory lap on calling the Super Bowl margin of victory and winner correctly on my podcast two weeks ago. Just because we took a week off doesn't mean I'm not going to pat myself on the back for the first successful prediction on the podcast. I had Kansas City 35, San Francisco 24, and your final was Kansas City 31, San Francisco 20. So an 11-point margin of victory and the winner predicted. Not bad for my first on the history of the podcast. Should probably just retire from predictions now at 1-0. Anyways, as we get into episode 3, the first guest in the three-episode history of Small Town BS is Sterling Silver. Sterling and I go back to the journalism department at our alma mater of Marquette University, where he and I frequently found ourselves going back and forth on the sports topics of the day. Since then, he has moved on to politics and works in our nation's capital. So I thought, what better ca- what better guest to have on for the Wisconsin Sports State of the Union? Now, the audio is not of the highest quality, as he was on the road and I was using a different microphone. But the banter about the Brewers, Bucks, and Packers is pretty great. So stay tuned. My guest today is Sterling Silver. I'll do your full intro uh, in a little preview for the podcast. But uh, Sterling, I have you on today because I wanted to do kind of a kind of similar in the realm of what uh, you do on a day to day basis in D.C. Just kind of a, a state of the union. Get a get a little, you know, on a political theme, but not exactly uh, through a political lens. Uh, just discussing the the. Uh, three major Wisconsin professional sports teams and kind of their outlook uh, for the year ahead as well as reflecting on the year that was. So um, I guess we'll just start right away with um, obviously the the Packers season is probably the one that ended uh, most recently and um, we can kind of jump into their recap obviously with uh, with this this past season, it was the first of Matt LaFleur's tenure, and we obviously didn't really know what to expect coming into this season. And we now have, you know, a 13-3 and record in the regular season and a playoff win to kind of show for it. Um, I guess, what, what were your thoughts, Sterling, on, on just the first year from Matt LaFleur? And, um, you know, did it meet, exceed, or, you know, fall short of your expectations for the year? Uh, well, it definitely exceeded my, my expectations for sure. And quite frankly, not only in conjunction with Matt LaFleur's performance this season, but I really put it together with Judicum taking over his GM couple years back. And there's been a massive culture shift in Green Bay. Um, obviously, you've seen it on the GM front with being a lot more aggressive um, on the free agent side. And you see it offensively, too, with, you know, just the mannerisms of Matt LaFleur, you know, the all-gas, no-break mantra, um, the utilization of the offense, and the hashtag free Aaron Jones movement, um, and still playing on the things that work effectively for Rockford. So, you know, one of the staples of his, you know, success as a quarterback is his play-action ability. 
and being able to utilize that while still balancing the offense and recognizing that Rodgers is at an older age. Um, you know, a more more balanced offensive principles. And then you saw year two, you know, coupled together with the defense um, and the improvements that they've made. Um, obviously, under Mike Pettin, some people, you know, could make arguments on how strong those improvements were. But overall, I love the direction of the offense and defense at this point. And I think with another aggressive offseason, we're going to be, you know, at least sniffing another playoff appearance, if not having a having an opportunity at pretty top heavy NFC. Mm-hmm. And I could not agree more with, with especially with what you said about it being culture shift. And I think the guys that Gutekunst brought in this past year, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith among them. I mean, those are guys that like obviously love to be Packers, and um, it really showed out there. They just embraced the existing culture while. Also, you know, not being afraid to really step up and change the culture themselves. Um, so I, I thought they did a phenomenal job in their first year. And um, really overall, yeah, um, you know, the things that we were worried about a year ago, whether it be the relationship between LaFleur and Rodgers and stuff like that, all, all that stuff just seems silly, uh, you know, as we, as we look back on what was, I think, undoubtedly a, a successful season, um, you know, as far as, making the NFL's final four um, and, and being in that conversation. But, you know, there's also the matter of when we got to that final four, we faced the 49ers and frankly, they just get outclassed in San Francisco for the second game of the season. Obviously their second trip out to San Fran and their third trip to California where they just got completely outclassed. Um, does, does that worry you as far as uh, obviously our, our, our status in the NFC North, uh, sweeping the division and stuff like that. You know, it was a productive year in that sense, and obviously making the NFC Championship. But um, does it does it feel like there is a massive gap uh, yet to cross as far as getting to that next level of being a Super Bowl contender? Because despite making the Final Four uh, in, the, in the NFC NFC Championship game. It, it feels like this team was just not quite in the championship conversation. How do you, how do you feel about that, sir? Well, I don't think that there's necessarily a massive gap, and I, I think Goody has shown that with his aggressiveness, not only this past off season, but even his first season at the helm. You know, you would think that maybe a new GM would come in, and especially as someone who worked under Thompson, might kind of stay with that same mantra in terms of aggressiveness and free agency. But, you know, you saw a couple years back, they had massive issues at cornerback, and right away in the draft, you saw that they went after Jackson, who hasn't necessarily turned out, and then obviously Jair Alexander. Mm -hmm. And this season, you know, one of the big issues coming in was the pass rush and bringing in both of the Smiths, um, needing help on the back end, bringing in Amos. I think for one, at least we've got a GM that you saw how these changes, just bringing in three key free agents into the defensive backfield, um, obviously massively made an improvement on the defensive end. But I kind of look at it as only us needing a few other positions at this point. Uh, you know, much malign has, has come towards Blake Martinez and his athleticism uh, covering receivers despite having big tackle um, numbers. Um, looks like they're working on re-extending uh, Kenny Clark, which would be huge, given how much of a key cog he is, especially being, you know, really the only down lineman in a lot of the defensive fronts. Um, 
So, you know, I think adding some depth on the defensive line and adding a rotational piece because, you know, as nice as guys like Tyler Lancaster and such and Dean Lowry have filled in, you know, you saw the talent gap going against the strong 49ers front. Um, you know, I think you get another strong defensive lineman um, and continuing on the defensive um, side of the ball, getting a more athletic linebacker or even getting another safety so that you can move Savage into that corner or that, that third, um, excuse me, that third nickelback corner spot and continuing to improve that defensive secondary. Um, and then the other part, too, is offensively. I mean, you saw the issues with teams basically playing, um, you know, a safety over the top at all times on Devontae Adams. Uh, finding another aggressive, uh, you know, slot receiver. I know there's been some murmurs about ringing Randall Cobb back potentially. We'll see what happens on that front. Mm-hmm. But with the deep, you know, with such a deep receiving class, you know, they've got the opportunity to draft a guy, you know, first or second round, and you know, bring another receiver to kind of clear up some space for Devontae, and you know, continue to add some athleticism at that receiver position because it was really lacking this season. So. Overall, I mean, you bring a couple guys defensively for depth and you bring in another receiver or two, and I don't see why, you know, with Rodgers being as, you know, having as few turnovers as he normally does each year, that this team can't be back exactly where it was this season and go further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a critical offseason. And, you know, as I was uh, as I was kind of going over, I was doing a column for this past week for the Trimble County Times on uh, kind of, you know, this similar topic, the State of the Union, it's kind of, um, it's kind of hard not to view the three major Wisconsin sports teams as kind of, uh, view them through the lens of this window that each team has. I think for the Packers, it's the Aaron Rodgers window. You know, for the Bucks, it's the Giannis before his free agency window. And then there's obviously the Yelich before his free agency window. Let's shift gears to the, to the Bucks now. Um, and, you know, where they're at, obviously, the class of the Eastern Conference right now, um, really pacing the entire conference and, and look like world beaters, you know, very much on the way back to um, the conference championship for them as well. Uh, what, what, what kind of went wrong, you think, when they, when they faced um, Toronto conference championship last year, and how do they kind of get over the hump now, uh, you know, and, and get into the NBA Finals this year? Well, I kind of look at it as Toronto had a really good defensive strategy uh, and the way that they shifted the series after game two where they weren't necessarily worried about Brooke Lopez. Their idea was that if we're going to pull off Marcus Gasol to automatically double once, you know, Giannis crossed the three-point line, they're fine with anyone else beating him, especially Brooke Lopez. And it was actually funny because it was the same exact strategy that the Bucks used where in those first two games, if you remember, um, you know, Marc Gasol only shot 25% in those first two games and finally brought it down at the second half of the series. Um, mm-hmm. so in that front, you know, teams are going to start doing that, and I think it's important that, you know, it's not necessarily re-signing Malcolm Brogdon, Brogdon this past off season. What it allowed for us to do was we basically made the switch from having Malcolm Brogdon to bringing in Wesley Matthews bringing in depth at center who can also shoot in Robin, or in, uh, Robin Lopez, um, you know, giving more minutes for Dante DiVincenzo, who 
you know, his offense is definitely coming around, especially since early in this season. Uh, and he's already been great defensively. So you add extra shooting, you add extra depth, along with Kyle Korver, who, you know, has proven time and time again in the playoffs that he can be that 10 to 15 minute guy that comes in, hits a couple shots, and is a spark off the bench. Um, you know, overall, you add that depth for what's going to be, you know, a, a playoff series and having the versatility and, and different guys that you can go to. But also, you know, we've noticed this season more than the past in that Giannis trying to give him rest, obviously lower minute counts, which has been Bud's, you know, kind of strategy, trying to keep him around that 30, 32-minute mark mm-hmm. per game. And because they have that extra depth, they're able to get away with not only playing Giannis less and trying to keep him fresher for the playoffs, which is something that Bud said he realized after that Toronto series. But then, I mean, even these games that they haven't had Giannis, they have, they only had their first loss without him this season um, when they played at the Pacers a couple days back. So, you know, overall, it, it's such a well-rounded and deep team and versatile guys that can shoot, play fantastic on the ball defense, and not give other teams opportunities defensively rebounding, despite not necessarily being a big group. Um you know, I, I love the direction of where the team's at, and now it's just making sure that, knock on wood, these guys stay healthy. They, you know, get through the first series pretty quickly um, and what's going to be the eighth seed, which is looking like either the Nets or the Hornets or one of those teams. And, you know, they've got a great opportunity, and they've definitely been the class of the East so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you kind of touched on there, I mean, I think – you know, the the trend of basketball in the last number of years in general just seems to be, you know, get two or three talented guys. We don't really care, you know, and, like, they'll just figure it out, you know. Like, it just seems like you get two or three talented guys on a, on a team, and I feel like the Barks have kind of gone in a different direction and obviously, you know, still have, you know, two or three talented guys that could be leaders on other teams when you talk about Giannis or Middleton. Um but, you know, the way they've rounded out that depth and really, you know, filled it up with guys that don't necessarily need the ball in their hands every possession. Um, you know, I think you talk about the loss of Brogdon there, too. Um, I think he was another talented guy and, and is going to have a great future in the league. But um, as far as what they've been able to do uh, now without him this year, I think, um, you know, that was obviously you, you make room for certain guys and make them fit in certain situations, but uh, I don't think it was uh, necessarily the worst loss for the Bucks to kind of move on from him and to kind of fill out the roster with some guys who can contribute in, uh, you know, a little bit more variety of situations. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the outlook for them this this coming postseason is strong. I'll, I'll admit I haven't watched a ton of regular season Bucks basketball this year, but um you know, from what I've gathered, it certainly sounds like they're, um, as I said, kind of the class of the East and, um, you know, surging towards uh, another playoff spot. Plus, this is an experienced team. I mean, not just the guys that they brought in who had previous playoff experience, but these are all guys that have now been through a few playoff series together. They know how to, you know, pace themselves through that and, and through a lengthy playoff run, not just getting through one series because – you know, as as we all know, the, the NBA uh, playoffs is basically a second season, um, and I'm sure pacing themselves through that and through the regular season um, is obviously going to be better this time around than it has been in the past. Um, so I'm interested to see how how this team, uh, you know, 
transitions into the postseason and, and they can uh, maintain their focus throughout for sure. Um, but well, and I will say another thing, just like in the in the stream of the Packers and how many roster changes they've made in the last two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just crazy to think that just two years ago we were depending on Shabazz Muhammad and uh, a reborn Brandon Jennings 2.0 yeah. uh, for crunch minutes against the Celtics. So it's it's crazy how quickly it happened. Yeah, and Jabari and some of those other guys that uh, you know are now long gone and it's feel like half a decade since they've been on this team but it's really only been two years so yeah uh it is it is wild to see the the turnaround and just the general culture shift i mean you know i I wrote about it a while back in a column too like this milwaukee as a whole just feels like a city that is gearing up and getting ready to be in that championship conversation and not just in basketball i think um, obviously in, um, in baseball as well, you know, with the NLCS appearance two years ago and, a, and another postseason berth, only the fifth and sixth postseason appearances for the Brewers uh, in franchise history these last two years. This is a team that, you know, we're, we're I think collectively as a fan base, we're kind of viewing their seasons and the, the expectations going into their seasons is not just maybe let's compete in the NL Central, but let's compete for – you know, uh, an, at least a championship series appearance and maybe even a World Series. So, uh, obviously, the, the Astros are doing everything they can, you know, make that easier for themselves, apparently. And that, that is going to be a storyline to watch in uh, the 2020 season here um, is, is how teams kind of respond to that whole cheating scandal. But um, as you look at the Brewers and their offseason, I, I, I don't know how, how you feel about this, Sterling, but uh, for me, it – it felt like uh, for myself and, and many other Brewers fans that, like, you know, we were kind of looking for the big splash, and instead we got a bunch of ripples. And there are guys, if you look closely at this team uh, and, and the moves they made, whether it's Avisael Garcia in the outfield, Justin Smoke at first base I really like, Omar Narvaez at catcher, uh, there are guys to be excited about, but I don't think there is that that big name uh and, and obviously losing two guys who are relatively big names like Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal uh, are obviously big losses, and I still think the hole at third base is cavernous at this point. But as you look at the Brewers' offseason, Sterling, what do, you, what do you kind of think of what they did, and what, what do you think their outlook is for this coming season? Well, I actually had it summarized to me by a friend who said it reminded him of a bunch of Basically, a bunch of Junior-Guerra-esque type uh, transactions. If you'll remember, Junior-Guerra was the first guy. Did I lose you there, Sterling? Sterling, are you still with me? Sterling? Yeah, I'm there. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah. I lost you at (laughs) Junior-Guerra. Yeah, well, I, I made the comparison with that in that they're not necessarily notable guys, but I've been all in on the, you know, trust in Um I kind of look at it as an opportunity for, you know, if one works, maybe the other doesn't necessarily work. But if you can get one for two on a lot of those positions that, you know, like first base, they're going to have that depth and at least turn one of those guys into a solid hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have five outfielders currently. It's the same situation there where 
if you can at least get three of them to work out ultimately in the end, you know, you could you'd still consider that a win. Um, the other big observation that I had, quite frankly, was the pitching staff. Uh, if you remember last season, they went in with um, Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, and mm-hmm. I can't remember the third guy off topic, but basically three people have never been starting pitchers before, and you mm-hmm. obviously saw how many issues that was, you know, going through May and into early June. Um, a lot of a lot more veteran guys with, as Stearns is like to do, uh, club control through, you know, a good period of time. I'm very interested to see, especially the picture that we traded uh, Zach Davies for uh, from Eric the Padres. Yes. Yeah. Um, only does he have club control through 2023, but I, I think what gets lost specifically with him is that he was a starting pitcher in the major leagues at 21, which most of these guys at 21, you know, you're still working your way up through, you know, double A baseball. Maybe you're getting a sniff of triple A. And he was a major league rotational starter at that age. Obviously didn't necessarily have the greatest DRA, despite playing in what you would, you know, normally consider a pitcher's ballpark. But I look for him as a guy who at only 22 this season, if I'm not mistaken, um, is going to have an opportunity to grow within the organization and a guy that we can work in moving forward. Um, because another thing that I think it's lost too is just think if Jimmy Nelson won the originally gotten hurt. I mean, you have him with, you know, the rotation that they currently have of Woodruff and obviously going forward, um, you know, they're going to need young guys in their system just given that basically their minor league system at this point has been gutted with so many of the trades they've made these last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel I feel pretty good about the team, but ultimately it's going to come down to their pitching staff at the end of the day. It, yeah, it's definitely uh, very top-heavy in the minors uh, as far as what, – what I do like is um, obviously with the, the cuts this team is going to make as far as uh, – they, they signed a couple guys to minor league deals. I'm pulling up the list now. Uh, the guys that they got on minor league deals include uh, catcher Tuffy Kozowicz, uh corner outfielder slash first baseman Logan Morrison, um, second baseman Jace Peter, Justin Grimm, center fielder Keon Broxton, relief pitcher Mike Morin, and starter Miller, uh, to name a few the uh, minor league deals that were signed. You know, I think this team will, if they can hang on to most of these guys, uh, will have, you know, some depth that they can pull from, make those first calls if somebody gets hurt or is underperforming, as we saw last year uh, with Jesus Aguilar and a couple others. Uh, They'll have the depth of guys who have major league experience that they can draw from in the minors, I think, uh, if anybody's underperforming. And, um, yeah, the other the starter to bring up that I think is kind of a wild card is that Josh Lindblom from the KBO, uh, who, who was the KBO MVP last year. I'm certainly interested to see how he transitions back to a uh, major league roster. He hasn't pitched since 2017 for the Pirates in the majors. So we'll definitely have to see how he transitions back. But yeah, that rotation and, and the bullpen. I mean, frankly, you know, it would be nice, I think, to to see Hader go back to that 2018 role where he was kind of a, a flex pitcher that you just throw in in that seventh, eighth inning um, and, and kind of get the outs that you need wherever that top of the lineup or middle of the lineup that, that you want your best pitcher pitching against uh, can pitch. But 
it, it looks like he's going to stick in a closer role. Uh, what, did, what did you think of him uh, losing his arbitration case, getting, uh, I think, just over $4 million instead of $6.4 million, I think was what he was going for. Uh, did you think that was a fair determination there? I'm a little surprised at how, how much of a gap it was ultimately. Normally these arbitration cases will be the difference of, you know, five hundred grand up to about $1.5 million. So it was a little bit of a surprise how big of a drop it was from his initial, uh, you know, in these take everything, you know, for what it is. And with this fly ball rate and a lot of those home runs, um, you know, two years, like, frankly, his home run totals go up a lot stronger. Um, being able to sit on a you know, having two years of um, and how much they used him. But going back to what you were saying before, too, um, you know, adding rotational depth that can go a little bit further into games as well as adding more quality guys to the back of the bullpen. Because what we saw last year was without Jeffress playing, you know, playing poorly and obviously being relieved, and not having Corey Knebel, so many more of those innings were had to, you know, had to get eaten up by, obviously Josh Hader in those situations where mm-hmm. I, I think he just got tired at the end of the season. But with regards to the arbitration case, I think that's part of the reason why his stats, especially those last few months, started to drop. started to what started to fall off a little bit more. And I think ultimately that's partly what led. Losing his arbitration kid. Yeah, and uh, I'm trying to look here. I think I had uh, something on his home run. Oh yeah, his home runs. So his home runs uh, per nine is now up to 1.8 after being 1.0 or lower the last two years. And uh, as far as his home runs allowed, um, he went up from four in 2017 to nine in 2018 and 15 last year. So as you kind of said. Uh, I think hitters are kind of keying on that fastball a little bit more. And um, certainly it'll be interesting to see if he can develop that breaking ball because hitters were just laying off that slider uh, for most of last season and just kind of waiting for that fastball. Um, and I think that's what why you saw the, the home run uh, numbers up a little bit. So um, anyways, Sterling, to just kind of wrap things up here, we got a few minutes left uh, before I hit my 30-minute time limit here. But... Um, I uh, just wanted to kind of, you know, put a bow on things. It, just as a Wisconsin sports fan, I mean, how are you feeling overall going into this next year as far as, you know, wrapping up the NBA season with a Bucks team that's very much in the thick of the, the, the race here and a Brewers team that uh, still has a, a Yelich window um, and has certainly made enough moves, I think, to fill most of the gaps on their roster and as well as the, the Packers here who – uh, made the NFC Championship after two seasons without a playoff berth. Just overall, as a Wisconsin sports fan, how are you feeling going into the next next year or so? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I, I think and I hope people feel the same way that I do in that we really are in the golden age of Wisconsin sports right now. Um, you've got Christian Yelich, who obviously was the MVP a couple of years back and probably would have won it last season mm-hmm. had he not gotten hurt with the freak foul ball. Um, the Packers are back, obviously going 13-3 and with a former MVP at quarterback. You've got the best basketball player right now on the planet who's going for his back-to-back MVP, and obviously they've got a chance to win the title this year. Um, and, and we didn't even discuss this before, too, but Marquette Absolutely. with 
smart not only being a first-team All-American, it's looking like at this point, but if they continue to keep winning games, potentially, you know, in the player of the year conversation. So, you know, I know we haven't necessarily won any titles yet, per se. Uh, I feel really good about this Bucks team, ultimately, with the way that everything is shaping up. Um, but I just hope it doesn't get lost. We really are in the golden age of Wisconsin sports with some of the best athletes in the world, either playing in Milwaukee or just in general in Wisconsin. And I, I hope no matter what happens at the end of these title chases and whatnot, we'll look back at this and say, you know, we'll hopefully be celebrating a championship, that's for sure. But not least side of how great it has been these last couple of years here. Absolutely. Yeah, I, this is certainly, I, I think, as you said, definitely the golden age and definitely a fun time to be a fan. Maybe we, you know, obviously we, we talk a lot about expectations and stuff like that, but maybe it's just time for us as fans to just kind of shut up, watch the games, and see where things fall. But, Sterling, thank you so much for joining me. It was fun to kind of talk some, uh, obviously, Bucks, Brewers, and Packers with you. And uh, anytime you're available, man, it would be great to have you on the show again. Yeah, of course, Zach. Thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Have a good one. Yep, you as well. Well, that does it for Episode 3 of Small Town BS. Thank you so much to Sterling Silver for coming on the podcast and talking a little Bucks, Brewers, and Packers with me. Remember to check out my appearance on Too Much Pod Tar with Alex Keeler for a full breakdown on the Brewers going into 2020. Thank you so much for tuning in to Small Town BS. We will see you next week.